0: Hi, this is Book 3, Episode 19 of Puritans Read, where we read great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Continuing today, The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson. Chapter 4, showing the characteristics of a godly man. And continuing Section 17, A Godly Man is a Thankful Man. Use 3. Let us prove our godliness by gratefulness. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Psalm 29, 2. Number one, it is a good thing to be thankful. It is good to sing praises unto our God. Psalm 147, 1. It is bad when the tongue, that organ of praise, is out of tune and jars by murmuring and discontent but it is a good thing to be thankful. It is good because this is all the creature can do to lift up God's name. And it is good because it tends to make us good. The more thankful we are, the more holy. While we pay this tribute of praise, our stock of grace increases. In other debts, the more we pay, the less we have. But the more we pay this debt of thankfulness, the more grace we have. Number two. Thankfulness is the rent we owe to God. Kings of the earth and all people, let them praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 148, 11, and 13. Praise is the tribute or custom to be paid into the King of Heaven's exchequer. Surely, while God renews our lease, we must renew our rent Number three, the great cause we have to be thankful. It is a principle grafted in nature to be thankful for benefits. The heathen praise Jupiter for their victories. What full clusters of mercies hang on us when we go to enumerate God's mercies. We must, with David, confess ourselves to be nonplussed. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done they cannot be reckoned up in order psalm 45 and as god's mercies are past numbering so they are past measuring david takes the longest measuring line he could get he measures from earth to the clouds no above the clouds yet this measure would not reach the heights of god's mercies thy mercy is great above the heavens psalm 108 Oh, how God has enriched us with his silver showers. A whole constellation of mercies has shone in our hemisphere. Firstly, what temporal favors we have received. Every day we see a new tide of mercy coming in. The wings of mercy have covered us. The breast of mercy has fed us. The God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Genesis 48:15 What snares laid for us have been broken what fears have blown over the Lord has made our bed while he has made others graves He has taken such care of us as if he had no one else to take care of Never was the cloud of providence so black but we might see a rainbow of love in the cloud we have been made to swim in a sea of mercy and does not all this call for thankfulness secondly that which may put another string into the instrument of our praise and make it sound louder is to consider what spiritual blessings god has conferred on us he has given us water from the upper springs he has opened the wardrobe of heaven and fetched us out a better garment than any of the angels wear. He has given us the best robe, and put on us the ring of faith, by which we are married to him. These are mercies of the first magnitude, which deserve to have an asterisk put upon them. And God keeps the best wine till last. Here he gives us mercies only in small quantities. The greatest things are laid up. Here, there are some honey drops and foretastes of God's love. The rivers of pleasure are reserved for paradise. Well may we take the harp and vial and triumph in God's praise. Who can tread on these hot coals of God's love and his heart not burn in thankfulness? Number four, thankfulness is the best policy. There is nothing lost by it. To be thankful for one mercy is the way to have more. It is like pouring water into a pump which fetches out more. Musicians love to sound their trumpets where there is the best echo, and God loves to bestow his mercies where there is the best echo of thankfulness. Number five, thankfulness is a frame of heart that God delights in. If repentance is the joy of heaven, Praise is the music. Bernard calls thankfulness the sweet balm that drops from a Christian. Four sacrifices God is very pleased with. The sacrifice of Christ's blood, the sacrifice of a broken heart, the sacrifice of alms, and the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving, says Mr. Greenham, is the most excellent part of God's worship for this shall continue in the heavenly choir when all other exercises of religion have ceased. Number six, what a horrid thing ingratitude is. It gives a dye and tincture to every other sin and makes it crimson. Ingratitude is the spirit of baseness. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee, Obadiah seven. Ingratitude is worse than brutish. Isaiah 1 3. It is reported of Julius Caesar that he would never forgive an ungrateful person. Though God is a sin pardoning God, he scarcely knows how to pardon for this. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery. Jeremiah 5 7. Draco, whose laws were written in blood, published an edict that if any man had received a benefit from another, and it could be proved against him that he had not been grateful for it, he should be put to death. An unthankful person is a monster in nature, a paradox in Christianity. He is the scorn of heaven and the plague of earth. An ungrateful man never does well except in one thing that is, when he dies. Number seven, not being thankful is the cause of all the judgments which have lain on us. Our unthankfulness for health has been the cause of so much mortality. Our gospel unthankfulness and sermon surfeiting has been the reason why God has put so many lights under a bushel. As Bradford said, My unthankfulness was the death of King Edward the sixth. Who will spend money on a piece of ground that produces nothing but briars? Unthankfulness stops the golden vial of God's bounty so that it will not drop. Question, what shall we do to be thankful? Answer one, if you wish to be thankful, get a heart deeply humbled with a sense of your own vileness. A broken heart is the best pipe to sound forth God's praise. He who studies his sins wonders that he has anything and that God should shine on such a dunghill. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, but I obtained mercy. First Timothy 1 13. How thankful Paul was how he trumpeted forth free grace! A proud man will never be thankful. He looks on all his mercies, as either of his own procuring or deserving. If he has an estate, this he has got by his wits and in industry, not considering that scripture. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Pride stops the current of gratitude. O Christian, think of your unworthiness. See yourself the least of saints and the chief of sinners, and then you will be thankful. Answer two. Strive for sound evidences of God's love to you. Read God's love in the impress of holiness upon your hearts. God's love poured in will make the vessels of mercy run over with thankfulness. Unto him that loved us be glory and dominion forever. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. The deepest springs yield the sweetest water. Hearts deeply aware of God's love yield the sweetest praises. Section 18. A godly man is a lover of the saints. The best way to discern grace in oneself is to love grace in others. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 1 John three fourteen. What is religion but relegation? A knitting together of hearts. Faith knits us to God and love knits us to one another. There is a twofold love to others. Number one, a civil love. A godly man has a love of civility to all. Abraham stood up and bowed to the children of Heth, Genesis 23, 7. Though they were extraneous and not within the pale of the covenant, yet Abraham was affable to them. Grace sweetens and refines nature. Be courteous, 1 Peter 3, 8. We are to have a love of civility to all. Firstly, because they are of the same clay, of the same lump and mold with ourselves, and are a piece of God's intricate needlework. Secondly, because our sweet deportment toward them may be a means to win them over and put them in love with the ways of God. Morose, rude behavior often alienates the hearts of others and hardens them most against holiness, whereas loving behavior is very obliging and may be like a lodestone to draw them to religion. Number two, a pious and a holy love. This, a godly man has chiefly for those who are of the household of faith. Galatians six ten. The first was a love of courtesy, this of delight. Our love to the saints, says Augustine, should be more than to our natural relations because the bond of the spirit is closer than that of blood. This love to the saints, which shows a man to be godly, must have seven ingredients in it. Firstly, Love to the saints must be sincere. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth first john three eighteen The honey that drops from the comb is pure, so love must be pure, without deceit. Many are like naphtali. He giveth goodly words genesis forty nine twenty one Pretended love is like a painted fire, which has no heat in it. Some hide malice under a false veil of love. I have read of Antoninus, the emperor, that where he made a show of friendship, he intended the most mischief. Secondly, love to the saints must be spiritual. We must love them because they are saints, not out of self-respect because they are affable or have been kind to us but we must love them from spiritual considerations because of the good that is in them we are to reverence their holiness else it is a carnal love thirdly love to the saints must be extensive we must love all who bear God's image a though they have many infirmities A Christian in this life is like a good face full of freckles. You who cannot love another because of his imperfections have never yet seen your own face in the mirror. Your brother's infirmities may make you pity him. His graces must make you love him. B. We must love the saints, though in some things they do not coalesce and agree with us another Christian may differ from me in lesser matters, either because he has more light than I, or because he has less light. If he differs from me because he has more light, then I have no reason to censure him. If because he has less light, then I ought to bear with him as the weaker vessel. In things of an indifferent nature, there ought to be Christian forbearance c we must love the saints though their graces outvie and surpass ours we ought to bless god for the eminence of another's grace because hereby religion is honored pride is not quite slain in a believer saints themselves are apt to grudge and repine at each other's excellences is it not strange that the same person should hate one man for his sin and envy another for his virtue. Christians need to look to their hearts. Love is right and genuine when we can rejoice in the graces of others, though they seem to eclipse ours. Fourthly, love to the saints must be appreciating. We must esteem their persons above others. He honoreth them that fear the Lord. Psalm 15:4. We are to look upon the wicked as lumber, but upon the saints as jewels. These must be had in high veneration. Fifthly, love to the saints must be social. We should delight in their company. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. Psalm 119:63. It is a kind of hell to be in the company of the wicked, where we cannot choose but hear God's name dishonored. It was a capital crime to carry the image of Tiberius, engraved in a ring or coin, into any sordid place. Those who have the image of God engraved on them should never go into any sinful, sordid company. I have only ever read of two living people who desired to keep company with the dead, and they were possessed by the devil. Matthew 8:28. What comfort can a living Christian have from conversing with the dead? Jude 12. But the society of saints is desirable. This is not to walk among the tombs, but among beds of spices. Believers are Christ's garden, Their graces are the flowers. Their savory discourse is the fragrant scent of these flowers. Sixthly, love to the saints must be demonstrative. We should be ready to do all offices of love to them, vindicate their names, contribute to their necessities, and, like the good Samaritan, pour oil and wine into their wounds. Luke 10:34 and 35. Love cannot be concealed, but is active in its sphere and will lay itself out for the good of others. Seventhly, love to the saints must be constant. He that dwelleth in love, 1 John 4:16. Our love must not only lodge for a night but must dwell in love. Let brotherly love continue. Hebrews 13, one. As love must be sincere without hypocrisy, so it must be constant without deficiency. Love must be like the pulse, always beating. Not like those Galatians who at one time were ready to pluck out their eyes for Paul. Galatians 4, 15 and afterwards were ready to pluck out his eyes. Love should expire only with our life. And surely, if our love to the saints is thus divinely qualified, we may hopefully conclude that we are enrolled among the godly. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John thirteen thirty five. What induces a godly man to love the saints is the fact that he is closely related to them. There ought to be love among relations. There is a spiritual consanguinity among believers. They all have one head, therefore should all have one heart. They are stones of the same building, 1 Peter 2, 5. And shall not these stones be cemented together with love? This has been Book 3, Episode 19 of Puritan's Read. We read The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, Chapter 4, and from the second half of Section 17 to the first part of Section 18.